Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from September 19th, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder teaches from Galatians chapter 5, where we learn from Paul that conforming to the expectations of other believers does not bring us the freedom of the gospel. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. On Friday night, Amy and I saw a car accident, and it was, it was right out there on Broadway in Fairview. We had just dropped the kids off with Grandma and Grandpa. We were headed out to paint the town red, and uh, we had ordered our food. We're headed out, and I didn't see, like, the genesis of the accident. I was driving. I was looking at Amy, and I was talking to her, and I just remember her eyes got really big, and this... <gasps> And then we look, and right at that intersection, there's, it looked like an SUV. It was up, so like no wheels on the ground. And it spins over, and it smashes on its side, and then continues, and it smashes on the roof. And it was one of those car accidents where like, you, just dinner, what? Like you just forget, right? You're just, whew, right? And uh, we were pretty shaken up by it, and... Like, I think I would, I don't think I said this because I'm a pastor. Like, I think even if I was, like, a hardcore atheist, I think I would say this. But, like, the first words out of my mouth were, like, like, God in heaven have mercy. Like, just, whoa. Right? It was one of those accidents. And it looked like, it, you know, we, didn't, we couldn't tell. Again, we didn't see the beginning of it. I couldn't tell if, like, he hit the median and flipped or if a car ran a red light and another car smashed into it. Um, thankfully, the cops were right behind us, and they got on the scene quickly, and we were driving away, uh, and that was our evening, right? Uh, and we were reflecting on that. We were just like, you know, I remember Amy saying, like, oh, man, I, I just feel right now like our personal safety bubble just feeling really fragile. And, um, you know, we were just like, man, I don't know, if, was that like a terrible life-changing experience for some people, or was that just like a close call? We don't know what we saw. That was part of it. And then come the thoughts about like, you know, like we, we turn on the intersection all the time with our kids in the car, and I ride my bike everywhere, and I, just like right where that car smashed, like I've totally cut off cars on, in my bike there. You know, I've done the Jersey jump on a bicycle. Um, if you don't know what that is, find someone from New Jersey and ask them. It would really help traffic in Missouri, I promise. Um, but anyway, I mean, it was just like one of those moments where it's just really, really sobering. And then, though, I, I, I started getting curious. I, I had these thoughts later in the evening where I was trying to almost like rationalize what I saw. I remember I was saying things like, oh, man, God, like, I really hope that Whoever, and this may sound messed up at first, but I'll, let me try to process it. I was like, I hope whoever got in that car accident, like, wasn't, like, an innocent person. What I mean by that was, like, I, I hope it wasn't, like, a single, a single parent coming home from, like, this really awful job that they're barely scraping by to make ends meet, that barely pays the babysitter, they're leaving this awful job, and then some trust fund baby is, you know, on TikTok while they're driving, and then they smash in. And the, the trust fund baby's okay, but the single parent now, life is on a different trajectory. I'm like, God, I hope that's not the case. And I started going, like, I hope it's the case where, like, maybe it was, like, two teenage boys, like, trying to race, and then they were the only ones that kind of got in this little thing. I was like, I hope that whoever got in this accident, like, it was a consequence of something they were doing. 
And I was really curious, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I bargaining about this situation, right? Like, and I, I, as I sat with it, as I got curious about it, I started wondering, I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to bring my sense of justice to a situation. I was trying to make, like, when our circumstances don't line up with how we see the world, I'm trying to bring it back into line. So in my, in my worldview, if you buckle up, if you don't text and drive, if you try to get to your destination safely, you should get to your destination safely, right? And, and, and if you're being like a jerk and you're texting and driving, you know, you should, you should expect bumps. I hope you're okay, but you know, you're going to bump into something, right? But now I'm seeing maybe, maybe, I don't know, I have no idea the details of the accident, maybe someone did the right things and something bad still happened. Their circumstances don't line up with how I think the world should go. And I really wrestled with that. And as I kept getting curious about it, I was like, what is underneath that? I sat with it. I prayed. I was meditating on this. I was like, what is going on there? And I'm like, I I wonder if it's something I believe about God. Like, is this, is my bargaining, what what am I saying that this, you know, reveals about who I think God is? And I was just, I was sitting with it. I was wrestling with it. I was like, you know, I think I'm in a place where there's still something deep inside me that I, I need my circumstances to validate that thing, that I'm okay, that things are okay. And if things aren't going well, when I'm doing well, oh man, what does that say about God? It's really easy for us to do that. It's really easy to say, hey, I'm doing well my circumstances are going well. That's validation from God that we're okay. But then when things, disruptions, mess that up, it's like, well, what, God, what in the world? What's going on? It's really easy. There's a temptation for us to look to our circumstances for validation. There's something even more tempting, though, and it's far more subtle than looking to our circumstances for validation it's, it's really subtle. Most of us do it, and we have no idea that we're doing it. This subtle shift of not just looking to our circumstances for validation, but we look to others' approval for our validation, right? Like, if I'm doing well, if I'm, if I'm working hard and I'm doing a great job, people should see that, right? Right? Like, if I'm, if I'm going to work, I'm showing up on time, I, I stay late, you know, like, the reports that I turn in are all, like, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, like people will see and validate, and I know I'm doing a good job. Well, what happens, though, when we're doing what's right, and it doesn't get validated by people? What happens when you're trying to live out God's calling for your life, and people don't see? Let's push it a step further. What happens if you're trying to live out God's calling for your life, and people push back? People ask questions. What do we do? Do we just throw up our hands and say, yeah, I was probably doing it wrong. Yeah, you're you're wiser. You're more mature than me. I'm wrong, and I will conform to what you want me to do. We're going through the book of Galatians, and we're trying to confront these lies that Christians believe. There are these subtle things, these subtle truths that we tell ourselves that we don't even hardly ever question, and then they shape huge parts of our lives. And one of those lies that we're working to confront today is the lie that other believers' validation is critical for me to follow Jesus with confidence. Other people's validation, being seen by someone else, 
getting their approval, maybe even getting their, like, awe. Like, wow, I can't believe that you do that with your money. You're so generous. Man, that's incredible. Other people's validation of me is critical for me to follow Jesus with confidence. That is a lie that we believe. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, Paul is trying to confront that lie by sharing his story. And he shares his story in light of the church in Jerusalem. Now, you remember, if you've been with us with this series, remember, Jerusalem was like the HQ for the early church. They were the headquarters. It all started there. And so with that came a sense of authority. So these Galatian Christians, they're new Christians, right? And they were kind of like Christians gone wild, all right? They're like, woo we're free. Paul said, like, we're saved by faith and grace. This is awesome. And they totally believed that, and they were living free, and they went a little wild. And so HQ comes and says, hey, you guys are wild. You're immature. That's wrong. You know what you need to do? You need to keep all these rules. You need to keep Torah. And what happened was these Christians seeking the approval of more mature Christians the people in Bible study who have their Bibles all like marked up and worn out are saying, you don't measure up. And they were caught by this sense of, I don't. I need to align myself with what these people think, do, and say. And Paul is trying to confront this because he calls it slavery. He says that to conform to the validation and expectation of other believers is not why Jesus came. It's actually hurting, H-E-R-D-I-N-G. I'm going to spell it like 30 times today. It's not hurting like ow, that hurts. It's hurting like a herd of cattle, okay? Paul is inviting us into freedom. The gospel invites us into freedom. We are saved by grace. It is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we have to do to repay it. We're free to go. We're free to live with Jesus. The Judaizers show up and say, oh, that's true, but you got to keep Torah. You have to keep all these rules you have to keep these calendar regulations, these kosher laws. You have, to, you have to do all these things to really get the most out of your union with Jesus. Remember, the key verse, the key idea that shapes Paul in Galatians is, I am crucified. We, if you believe in Jesus, we are crucified with Christ. This amazing, life-changing truth. If we can just get a hold of it. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The resurrected Jesus lives, is united to us. Remember, like a, like a branch, we've been grafted to that tree. And the, the life-giving energy that, that makes that tree alive is now flowing in us. If we keep the rules, if we conform to this standard. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Jesus is alive in you. And you receive that by grace through faith. It's a gift. And so he tells his story to show where, keeping, where conforming to immaturity leads, 
where keeping the rules leads. He wants us to see. He's like, hey, I've seen the movie. Been there, done that. I printed the T-shirt, okay? Here's where it led. And he's inviting us to lay hold of this identity in Jesus and to really root our confidence not in whether or not we get seen, not in whether, enough pe- whether or not people are impressed by us, not by whether or not there's fruit from what we're doing, but in Jesus and his word. What has he said about us? Now, he does this by sharing his experience with Jesus and his word. He met Jesus. He had a revelation. And it can be easy for us to go, well, I'm not Paul. I didn't, I didn't meet the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. Like, people don't get me falling off of a horse tattooed on their arm. Um, but Paul, Paul's saying this, like, here's my revelation. Here's how Jesus revealed himself to me. And he's done it to you, too. If, you've, if you have trusted Jesus, you've met him like I have. And so he tells his story, and he says, sometimes it went well. Right? Like in verse 20, he's going to share like, hey, there are these churches in Judea. And they're like, man, that guy's nailing it. And they praise God. And sometimes it doesn't go well. Like this church in Jerusalem. They're like, Paul's annoying. He's a substitute teacher. And the real teachers are back. Like Paul preached a fun message. Yeah, you made paper airplanes. You got to do cool stuff. You, you, know, you watched BBC. But now we're really back. Bring out your textbooks. All right? He's trying to share his story to get at this deep, deep fear we all have underneath the surface that the message of grace is really too good to be true. Yeah, 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 God saves us by grace, but really God's pretty upset with you and you need to keep working, keep trying, try, try, try harder. Don't let your guard down. You're letting your guard down. Don't let it down. Paul's inviting us off the treadmill. He's actually exposing the treadmill. And so he shares his story with us, and it's really easy for us, if we don't read this passage in the context of the whole book, it's very easy for us to just kind of miss what he's saying. Because it sounds like travel log. Like, it's like, hey, I went to Arabia. And we're like, cool. And he's like, and then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. And then I hung out with this person for 15 days, and we're like, nah, that's neat, Paul. Thanks. But what he's getting at, what he's trying to do is like, I'm not looking to other people for validation, even apostles. If there was someone who could validate your experience, it would be not just your pastor, but like the person who's writing the book that your pastor is reading from. If there's anyone that can provide validation, it's probably them. And Paul's like, I didn't even go to them for validation. I know I met Jesus. And he's trying to root our confidence. He's trying to just help us be really rooted in this identity we have of union with Jesus. People are not going to get it. People are going to make suggestions. Oh, you're homeschooling. Oh, you drink beer? You watch Succession on HBO? You don't budget? People are going to ask questions. And if we're not rooted in our identity with Jesus, that we're so closely united with him, that his life-giving power flows through us, whether or not people see it, we're going to, in a sense of anxiety, we're going to conform to the expectations of, this is harsh, but let's be honest, 
We're going to conform to the expectations of immaturity. It is immature of me to think your calling, that God's calling on your life is identical to God's calling on my life. And if you're not living my calling, you need to conform because, well, I just don't have a category for helping someone not through the lenses of what God has called me to do. So, yes, God has called me to spend my money in a certain way, and now I see you not spending your money in that way. Oh, hey, have you thought about Financial Peace University? Which is great. I'm not knocking that, all right? It, Amy and I paid off our like, student loans. It, the math didn't work. We paid off our student loans like a year. I'm not trying to knock Financial Peace University. But immaturity says, well, I know God's calling for my life, and everyone else... Excuse me, everyone else needs to line up to that, to my expectations. Maturity is rather taking, taking responsibility for our own emotional well-being and for our union with Christ. I can't look to other people for permission. I can't look to other people for confidence because they won't give it. I won't ever be able to get it. I'll be on this treadmill of trying harder. And so Paul shares his story so that we get off this treadmill and get busy doing what it is that God has called us to do, not what God has called others to do. We do not need permission to live in the freedom that the gospel gives. If we are waiting for that permission, we are going to be waiting at this bus stop through the night. All right? It's not coming. And Paul is trying to help us get unstuck by sharing his experience with how he's had to navigate his own union with Christ when it went well and when it was questioned. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Galatians 1 verse 11. A couple weeks ago when we were together, we looked at the opening part of this passage. We talked about a life of people-pleasing Versus a life of faith. Paul stays in that similar trajectory, and we're talking about maturity versus herding, H-E-R-D-I-N-G, herding, herding like a cow, like cattle, herding, just going with the largest group of people, herding. So, Galatians chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 11, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, and if you are able, would you please stand with me? out of reverence for God's word. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not, is not, is not, definitely not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous ways in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his What's the word? Grace. Grace. 
was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw no other apostle, well, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, what I am writing is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray for your help. God, the temptation is so overwhelming that when we get looks from people, when we feel ourselves separating from the herd, to just run right back. But God, I pray you would give us the courage it takes to, be, to base our relationship with you, to base our confidence not in others, but in you and you alone. God, make us a people deeply, deeply rooted in our union with Jesus because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. There's a couple things we got to unpack about how Paul shares his story. And it's again, we're separated by 2,000 years and several thousand miles between us and Paul's setting. Different, he's a different culture and a different time period. Today, uh, kids, parents like, will just like freak out and love if their kids have natural abilities in sports, right? Their kids can be like jerks. They may not know the multiplication table, but if they're good at soccer, we're all right, mom and dad. Why are we all right? Because this kid might get a free ride to USC. They might, they might even play major league soccer. We're okay. So we as a society really like soccer kids, okay? Now, in Paul's cultural context, they didn't have soccer. They had zeal. Like, what? All right? Zeal. Think about it like this. Israel is in exile. That's bad news bears, all right? That's, imagine if Lithuania takes over the United States, makes the United States Lithuania, and we're like waiting for the day where we get to go home. We're home, but we're not really home. That's where Israel is. And so they're waiting for Messiah. And how do you bring Messiah about? Zeal. So kids who had zeal was like, man, put this kid in the front of the line. Paul is saying this in Galatians 1.17. Here's what he said. He says this. I, uh, whoop, not 117, 1.14, excuse me. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys are trying to conform to Judaism and to the system. Please listen to me. I did that. I was really good at it. I was very impressed. By, I mean, the people were very impressed by me. I was working, all right? I was nailing it. I was that kid that the scouts were coming to look at, and, like, people really were impressed with how zealous I was. Here's what he says, though. To stay there after we've been offered freedom with Christ... To go back to that is to just sign up for immaturity. It's to sign up for a bad situation. So if we're people who are like, yeah, we've been saved by grace. We're set up. We're good. We've been rescued and redeemed and loved. We're united. We have our dignity, value, and worth that we get because we're children of God. Let's add to that by going to Bible study twice a week. It's a good thing, right? Bible study is a good thing. We like Bible studies. I help lead Bible studies, all right? 
But if, if, our, if our confidence in our union with Christ is, well, this church is a Bible study church, I got to go to Bible studies. We're slowly starting to, to do exactly what the Galatian church had done. And Paul is kind of peeling back the layer. He's pulling back the curtain to show us who really is this wizard of Oz. Who are these Judaizers? What are they after? He's like, I'm way more zealous than these people were. All right? I, I, they, people were writing books about me, all right? And here's what he says about the Judaizers later in the book. He says this, those people, those Judaizers, they're zealous. Aha, that's good. All right, they're impressive. They're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. So they want to separate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Zeal for them. Submitting to a hurting, H-E-R-D-I-N-G, hurting mindset, submitting to a hurting mindset creates codependency. These leaders wanted these followers approval. They wanted, hey, will you be zealous for us? We need your approval. We need, if, if people back home, see, we have all these followers who really like us, we're doing well. You see how this is, it's all connected to the same root. These spiritual leaders were not finding their identity, their, their confidence in their union with Christ. They were looking for their confidence in the approval of the congregation. You cannot serve a community and get your identity from that community's approval. You cannot serve a community and get your identity from that community's approval. That leads to codependency. I need your approval or I'm not confident. There's something wrong with me. This church knows a lot about the Bible. I've got to show you I know more. Ah, I don't know enough. Ah, now you're upset about this. And there's no stability there. Hurting is when a group is adapting to the needs of the least mature member. A group adapts to the needs of the least mature member. What does that look like in churches? Well, did you see Karen? Karen just got an Audi. And it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's like electric, an electric Audi. How much do you think Karen gave to missions last year? Probably not very much if she can afford that electric Audi. Yeah, Karen's pretty worldly. That is immaturity. We don't know anything about Karen's spiritual. We see something, we see a sliver of Karen's life, and we make this estimation of, I got it. I've nailed it. I've seen it all. I know who you are. Nailed it. That's immaturity. That's bad enough, right? That's always going to exist in groups. What makes it worse then, though, is when we go, <gasps> yeah, they're right. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to look like I don't give a lot to missions, too. So what should I do? Oh, man, I should. Uh, these are Doc Martens. Uh, if, if you walk through the mall at Journeys, you know how much they cost. I should, I'm just going to wear, like, New Balance loafers and be like my dad. And, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm going to try to, hey, 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 sorry. I'm, going to, I'm just going to try to really just get simple because I don't want to stand out either. You see how that's conforming to immaturity, right? 
It's not saying, hey, uh, you don't know anything about Karen. Karen probably is generous, and you don't know that, right? But rather, you're telling a story, and now we all conform to that story, hurting, immaturity. Maturity, on the other side, in this context, maturity looks like this. The willingness to take responsibility for one's own emotional well-being and union with Christ. So hurting says, let's, let's all just conform to the immaturity. Maturity says, no, no, no. I need to own this. I need to take responsibility for my own emotional well-being to not be anxious when people don't think I'm nailing it. I'm not going to let that, that's on them. They think that. I mean, we can talk about that, but I'm not going to own that problem. I'm going to take responsibility for it. My own emotional well-being and my union with Christ. Now, maybe you're saying, emotional well-being, where are you getting that from this passage? Remember, we've got to read the whole context of Galatians here. Listen to this. This is what Paul, after he's sharing his story, after even he takes the story even further, he talks about how he, not only did he not need the approval of the apostles, he's confronting apostles. I mean, that is, that's the opposite of hurting. H-E-R-D-I-N-G, all right? Here's what he says after he gets all, through all that. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. When the Bible's being redundant, you should pay attention. You don't need the word free twice in that sentence. It, Christ set us free would have been a fine sentence. But he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's really trying to, who are we? We're free people. We don't have to live by the whims of other people's immaturity. We don't have to live by people's judgments. We can, we can for freedom, that Christ has set us free. Then what does he say? Stand firm. That's about emotions. It's don't get knocked around. Don't get tossed about when people don't see. Stand firm. How do you do that? How do you stand firm when we don't have the approval of the crowd? When our own church, godly people, people we love, question, hey, I don't, I don't see, I don't see. Please, I need to be clear here. I am not talking about this type of scenario, right? If anybody comes and writes an email to me and says like, hey, you know, I was sitting beside this guy, and he said, that was a great message. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to eat chocolate ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because that's who God's calling me to be, and I'm just going to you know, be a total jerk. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not freedom. Right? That's a different type of slavery. Paul's talking about the freedom to be who God has called us to be, owning our stories, and, and, and why God has interacted in our lives the way he has, why he's shaped situations to the way they are, to create a unique calling for our lives. When we're living out of those convictions and other people are like, what? I don't, I don't get what you're doing. We don't have to get rocked and we don't have to conform. We can stand firm. That's what Paul is working really hard to say he's doing. Look again back in Galatians chapter one. Here's what he's saying in verses uh, 13 through 14, he's like, I did the conformity thing. I was better than my peers, all right? And then verse 15, he says, but, but is put in a sentence as a contrast, all right? So I was doing this, this was working well, but then this happened. It's different. So in spite of all his effort, God revealed himself. He revealed his son. Paul uses that phrase, who set me apart from my mother's womb. That's a, that's, a, that's a common vernacular in the Hebrew Bible for how prophets are called. 
He's, which he's trying to say this. These Judaizers say like, hey, we're really, we're like super faithful to the Old Testament. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm deeply rooted in the tradition of the Old Testament. They're, they are an aberration. I am just like the Old Testament prophets calling you to repentance. He's trying to again get at like, yeah, this, this like, is this whole message of grace and union with Christ, is it really just a substitute teacher who we're having fun with? He's like, no, this is God's plan from the get-go. This is what the prophets were working toward. I identify as a prophet. All right? So then he, then he keeps going through his travel log. Jesus was revealed to him, and then he says this, verse 17, I didn't go to Jerusalem. What was in Jerusalem? The Judaizers, like HQ, headquarters. I didn't go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Okay, why would he go up to Jerusalem if he needed the approval of others? Who's, who are the people to get that from? The apostles, right? They had face-to-face -face time with Jesus. They had one-on-one -on -one time. If there's anyone that could give you approval, it'd be them. And Paul's like, I didn't even do that. Why? He's so confident in Jesus and his word, he doesn't need to run it by others. That is different, please, again, that is different from getting counsel, from getting input from others. What's the difference? One is getting permission. Paul's saying, I didn't go to Jerusalem to get permission. Some of us get counsel from others in like a codependent way. Who am I? What should I do? You tell me. Biblical counsel is coming alongside of someone, not coming up from, I come down from down on high, and I love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. And here it is, because I know something you don't. Rather, biblical counsel comes alongside someone and says, hey, who's God calling you to be? Hey, yeah, tell me about that. Okay, hey, have you thought about this? And it's coming alongside and it's drawing out versus forcing upon. It's a world of difference. Paul's saying, I didn't go to Jerusalem to get permission. I went, where did he go? What do your versions say in verse 17? Arabia. Okay. Arabia. It's in blue up there. I did not go to Jerusalem, but I went to Arabia. He's doing the same thing he did by saying, I, I was set apart from my mother's womb. I'm like an Old Testament prophet. Where is Arabia? Well, fast forward a little bit through the book. He's talking about uh, Hagar and Sarah. We'll get there when we get there, but listen to this. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. So he's saying this, where did I go? I went to Arabia. According to the book, Arabia is Sinai. Why would he go to Sinai? Sinai is where it all started, baby. He said, I'm going back to ground zero where God revealed himself to Moses and gave Torah. And I'm going to just sit there with Jesus and be like, hey, this whole, this was a shock to me. I was, I thought I was serving you and this is a left turn. Was this your plan from the get-go? Or, or am I, or is the message of grace, is that, is that just like a substitute teacher? He doesn't go to the authorities, he goes back to God. When people question, when people are like, hey, I don't get why you're making the decisions you're making, we don't need to convince them. We need to sit with Jesus about that. So we're not saying, hey, ignore when people have questions. We are saying, don't get your identity from it. But that might be invitation. All right, hey, Jesus, people around me are saying this. Are they right? Am I missing something? He's headed to the source. We live in the age of anxiety. So many of us, as soon as we get questioned, 
We've already got our plan booked together for how to answer all those questions. Sometimes before we even get questioned, we're ready to answer all the objections. Paul, though, is like, hey, this thing happened to me. I'm going to go sit with Jesus. Hear the struggle there? He's working to do what, he, what he's telling us to do. Stand firm. His world got rocked. And he sat with Jesus about it. He didn't say, what should I do, herd? What would you guys do in this situation? And so now he's able to see a herding group of people and call it out. He uses really harsh language too. Look at verse 20. I, sh- I assure you before God that I didn't, I didn't get approval. I assure you that what I'm writing is no lie. That's an oath. In the first century, uh, this is before security cameras. This is before everything's digital. Your word carried a lot of weight. Paul is throwing his credit card at this. He's saying, yeah, but you can trust, you can trust that this is the truth. What's at stake? If we, if we need our confidence to follow Jesus from others, we will lose the joy and the freedom that comes from our union with Jesus and who he's calling us to be. God hasn't called you to be me. All right? God wired and shaped my story, and I am responsible for living on that adventure. And it's an adventure. Woo! Never thought I'd be in Columbia, Missouri. It's a wild adventure. But if there are so many opportunities along the way to say, oh, man, people don't get it. I just need to keep submitting and conforming to what other people want me to be. We miss out on the joy of the journey that Jesus has for us. And it's a journey that he's on with us. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. It's this beautiful marriage of my life and Jesus' resurrection power and his presence bringing renewal to my life, to my neighborhood, to my workplace. It's not about lining up with what immature believers imagine life should look like. That's where anxiety gets us. He's saying, get busy with the work God has called you to do. Why do you live in Columbia, Missouri? Why do you work at the job you work at? Why do you spend your money the way you spend your money? Is it because that's what people should do? Or does that flow out of what Jesus and you, the adventure you're on? Would people describe you as free? There was a beautiful memorial service here yesterday, and it was so cool to hear people's stories and people's interaction with Earl and Betty Reeves. It was wonderful. It was a life well lived. At your funeral, are they going to say, man, they were so good at just catering to expectations? You've never seen anyone just live up to expectations like this person did. I mean, they just, we thought it, yeah, it was wild. They did it. Man, that was impressive. Or would you rather they say, man, they knew. Yeah, we didn't know all, we they're crazy. What are they doing? But we, they, they were just so confident of God's love for them. 
and that they were deeply united, they were, they were able to tell all of us we were wrong. That means that communities move a little slower, right? Hurting, hurting mindset, like it, it, it's just a quick fix, right? Ah, I feel bad, I'll just fall back in line. And it feels like you're moving faster, but you're really not going anywhere. You're just, we're all around the same cul-de-sac together. Maturity, though, taking ownership, not looking to other people, not looking to other people to validate, yeah, yeah, I'm in God's will. Yeah, 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 I'm deeply loved by God. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are back in the news again. Uh, Jessica Chastain uh, just released a movie uh, about them. And if you remember, in the 70s and 80s, they were everywhere. I didn't grow up with the Bakers, so I'm like totally new to like learning about this. And I'm like, where, where was I? This is crazy, right? So like, uh, I was talking to someone from this church about the Bakers, and they had said, oh yeah, in my house, in my house, there were three things on TV every day. We had the local news, because my family, they were farmers. We had the prices Right. Come on now. And then we had PTL. And that's all the TV we had. And, and you're like, and I think it was like uh, in this book that I'm reading, they talked about uh, satellite TV. So the first few satellite stations that were picked up, HBO, right? Heard of it? Uh, this, this weird guy in Atlanta, Ted Turner, had a satellite channel. And then PTL. I mean, massive. In the 70s and 80s, Jim Baker was bigger than, and had more influence than many denominations. I think that was huge, right? And then the scandal happens. And then behind the scenes, you start to look, and you're like, man, there was a lot of icky stuff going on here. Violence, sexual immorality, thievery, all kinds of crazy stuff. You're like, how did all this happen? Well, it didn't start out like that. Uh, Jim Baker, as a young man... Uh, growing up in rural America, he, he, was, he was smitten by a traveling evangelist. Jim and Tammy Faye just got married, and this traveling evangelist was going around telling all these stories about how, oh man, like a million people just got saved in South America, oh man, you know, a thousand people got saved here and here, and they were totally smitten by this guy. And in a foreshadowing of his own life, uh, what happened was uh, they signed up to become evangelists because they were so smitten by this man, and then they found out he like lived in like a trailer park in Florida. Like he wasn't doing it, he was just going around raising money, and that was, he was just a charlatan. And so he connected himself to this group of people, this, these group of people who believed in what's called a prosperity gospel. That how do we know that we're loved by God? Well, it's if we're healthy, wealthy, and wise. So you have God's blessing because you've got money in the bank, right? And if you don't have money in the bank, you need to believe harder. So he got connected to these folks, and there was a, a, a travel, there was a, an evangelist couple Fern Olson was the wife's name. And uh, Jim one day asked her, hey, Fern, what's the key to success as an evangelist? What's the key to success? How do you know that you're really doing it well as an evangelist? And Fern gave Jim Baker advice that he'll prob he probably never forgot. She said, results. You know you're doing well when you get results. That is marrying your confidence to your circumstances. And the story of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, as messed up, as scandalous as it is, is also a story about someone who rooted his confidence, his identity in people's approval. 
and look at the dumpster fire it created. You may not be a televangelist. You may not be in any risk of starting this empire. But we can shipwreck our lives when we look to others for our confidence. When we look to others for like, hey, how am I doing my walk with Jesus? What do you, what do you think? What do you think? Rather than taking ownership. So as a church family, we're gonna like, we're gonna look at the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker scandal a little bit more closely. So next week, next Sunday night at 7 p.m. So after church, come on back, 7 p.m. We're gonna talk to the author of the PTL book of the rise and fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and their evangelical empire. It's wild. I mean, we'll talk about the air-conditioned doghouse. It's, it's, if you don't know the story, please come back. I didn't know the story, and I'm just like, what? What were you guys doing? Like, this is crazy. Um, so that's next Sunday. We're going to talk about it. And there is a lot we can learn from it. We can learn what it looks like to marry ourselves to our product, to our results. And what we do, we find that we're on this treadmill of constantly trying harder. It's never enough. Keep running, keep moving, keep working. You get someone's approval one day, it's gone the next. You create this codependent relationship. Paul is inviting us off the treadmill. He's trying to root our confidence in the fact that Jesus on the cross died once for all. It is finished was his cry. And it's enough. And because it's enough, it means we're enough. If you know Jesus, God's heart for you this morning is not, when are you going to get it together? When are you going to fall in line? When are you going to get it? Yeah, you've been struggling with that sin for years. When are you really going to shake that off? That's not his message for you this morning. His message is if you are in Christ, you are worthy. You are wanted. And you are loved by a father. And that approval is so strong and so rooted, even if no one else sees it, it doesn't go away. Father, Oh, that we would know that. God, we're so fickle. We're fragile. But we are fragile people in the arms of a loving Father. So God, I pray that our identity would be deeply rooted, deeply rooted in Jesus and his work, not in the herd, not in the opinions of others. God, I pray that as a people, we would, we would be free. We would live in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscnc.com.